Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah and chapter number 31. Jeremiah and chapter number 31. We are continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom and we're in a specific segment where we're dealing with the covenants. There are four covenants that God made concerning the people Israel, concerning the Hebrew people that will be fulfilled during the time of the Millennial Kingdom. In fact, the Millennial Kingdom is the fulfillment of all four of these covenants. And so in order to have a basis, an understanding, some groundwork to understand why we have the millennial kingdom in the first place, we have to have an understanding of the workings of the covenants that God made. And that God has made the Abrahamic covenant. He has made the Palestinian or the land covenant. He has made the Davidic covenant. And tonight we're going to hit the last of these four covenants that God made concerning his people Israel. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah in chapter 31. Jeremiah and chapter number 31, and we're going to start in verse 31. So Jeremiah 31, 31. Notice with me what the word of God says. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31? The book of Jeremiah chapter 31, and notice with me in verse number 31, where God mentions this phrase, a new covenant. A new covenant. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit the last of these four covenants that God made concerning the Hebrew people. This last one is called the new covenant. The new covenant. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you again 
for you taking the Bible and you explaining things in your word and then granting us understanding and wisdom that comes from above to be able to discern, to understand, to put together these covenants and why you have these covenants and the fulfillment of these covenants. As we hit this last one, we're asking once again that you would give us special discernment that we could be able to understand what you're getting across, understand the fulfillment, and then more importantly, how it applies to us as Gentile people. We're asking that you would again, just be God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let the words that come out be pleasing to you. Let them be ordered by you. Let them be controlled by you. And that you would once again get your work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we now examine this idea of the new covenant, we remind you that the word covenant carries the idea of a promise, an agreement. It is a contract. It is along those terms that God is made concerning his people Israel. That we explained before that all the covenants have their seed form in Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant that God pulled Abraham from the Ur of Chaldees and from him he promised him that he would have a people that would be more than the sand the sea more than the stars in the sky and that at the time that God made the promise Abraham didn't even have a son and that Abraham had to wait for that son of promise later on God had the Hebrew people and he brought them uh, out of Egypt by Moses and they pulled him aside and they made him a promise of the land that they would inherit All of the land that God had promised Abraham. By the way, that land has never been possessed by the people. And it stretches from Iraq, modern day Iraq, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. All the way from the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. All the way up to where Turkey is. That is a big, huge part of block of real estate that the people one day will inherit and occupy. Then we understood that the Bible t- pulled David, King David aside, and said, David, you're going to have a son that's not born yet, and this son is going to build a temple, but, but guess what? It's not going to stop there. That from your descendants, you will have a dynasty that will continue. And from those descendants will sit a king who will rule and reign forever. And we prove that that was King Jesus. And that King Jesus is going to be the ruler of the millennial kingdom. And that he inherited the throne through David's line. And he was blood related to David just as was promised. And now we come to the book of Jeremiah. And we have the first mentionings of the new covenant. Now the new covenant is not just mentioned here in Jeremiah. But it is also further explained in Ezekiel. And we'll get to there in just a second. But let's take a quick moment to look at this Jeremiah passage. Then we'll look to Ezekiel and see, fill in the details. But notice with me in Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. Notice this now in verse 32. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. And verse number 32, God reminds the Israelites that he had made them another covenant. This one was a temporary covenant that 
he gave them when he led them by the hand out of Egypt. Now, if you remember your history, your Bible history, that the covenant that God made with the Hebrew people when he brought them out of Egypt was the Mosaic law, specifically the Ten Commandments, where he says, guess what? In order for you to be perfect, you need to not bear false witness. Don't tell lies. In order for you to be perfect... You need to honor your father and your mother. In order to be perfect, you shouldn't steal. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't commit adultery. You should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He gave them ten commandments. And guess what? They broke every one of them. By the way, we broke every one of them. Now, this was never a a covenant that God says, You keep all of this and you go to heaven. But instead, it was a covenant to show the people one major thing. That next to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you could write on big boxcar letters, I need Jesus. That's what the whole purpose of the Ten Commandments is, is is to let everyone know, I need Jesus. And he puts those rules there to let them know how much of a failure they are. To let them know how big of a sinners they truly are. I need Jesus. But what's going to happen is that instead of having 612 or 13 laws that they cannot keep. Notice what God promised to do for these people in verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And will be their God And they shall be my people. And they shall no more teach every man. uh, Teach no more. And they shall teach no more. Every man his neighbor. And every man his brother saying. Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them. Unto the greatest of them. Saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities. And I will remember their sin no more. Now remember this is a promise. That was given to the Hebrew people. Now, is it true now that the Hebrew people, from the least of them to the greatest people, know the Lord personally? That is a no. This is something that has not been fulfilled yet. But God says, guess what? I will do something so amazing that they will no longer need a list of rules in order to obey God. That they will have it in their heart, and because they know me, they will automatically do what is right. You know, that's one of the wonderful things about walking with the Lord. Is that if you are, have your eyes upon God and you're following after Him, you don't need a checklist of do's and don'ts. If you're following after God, you will automatically do what is right. And that's what God is promising these people. That He's going to do something so amazing that they won't need rules to follow God. They just need to follow Him and know Him personally. And they will automatically do What is right? Now, with that being said, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, and let's examine this covenant even in more detail. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Now, remember that Ezekiel and Jeremiah are contemporaries, that Ezekiel has been hauled off into Babylonian captivity, and that he is preaching uh, in Babylon at the same time that Jeremiah is preaching to the people at Jerusalem. 
And God gives both of them this idea of a new covenant, this promise that God is going to do something special with the Hebrew people. Notice with me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, and if you don't mind, notice with me in Ezekiel 37 verse number 21. Ezekiel 37 and verse 21. And say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king of them all. And they shall no more be two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor their detestable things, nor any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them so they shall be my people and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd and they shall also walk in my stat judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land whereof I've given Jacob my servant where in your fathers have dwelt, and they will dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make them a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them. And set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea I will be their God. And they will be my people. And the heathen shall know. That I the Lord do sanctify Israel. When my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them evermore. And what we see here is as we explore this, the first thing I'd like to show you as we explain the new covenant is the new covenant revisited or reconfirmed. The new covenant reconfirmed. Now in Jeremiah, God gave the new covenant to them. In the book of Ezekiel, God now reconfirms this covenant, reconfirms this promise. And what he does is he gives more details, gives them some more understanding of how this new covenant's going to work. Notice with me some things that are going to happen along with this new covenant. Notice with me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, and notice with me in verse 21. The new covenant reaffirmed. Notice what we see in verse 21. And say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. The first thing he reminds them of is that he's going to gather Israel into one place. Now, we know that this has not happened yet. We know that the Israelite, the Hebrew people, are still scattered to the four winds. There are more Hebrew people, Jewish people, living in New York City than the entire country of Israel today. And so they are scattered. But one day, God is going to gather them together. Now, as we've already studied prophecy, as we already studied the Millennial Kingdom, this is going to be fulfilled in the Millennial Kingdom 
all the people will be gathered together just as God promised. Notice with me in the next verse, verse 22. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be a king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Now, not only are they going to be gathered together. But Israel is going to be one nation ruled by one king. That remember in Israel's history, you had the United Kingdom run by Saul, by David and Solomon. And then under David's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom was broken in half. Twelve, uh, ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. Rehoboam uh, was the first king of the southern kingdom. That Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. And that they were split in two until the Babylonians came and destroyed the southern kingdom in 586 BC. And the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And they were scattered to the winds. But how Israel left is that they were two nations that were divided. And God is telling them, guess what? In the millennial kingdom, when I gather everyone together, I'm going to gather all the nations together. And they're no longer going to be two different competing nations but they're going to be one nation under one king. The king that I promised them. And of course we know what the fulfillment is. That's King Jesus. That King Jesus is going to rule over the nation of Israel. <clears throat> Notice what else we see in verse number 33. Or 23. Verse number 23. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, and wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be my God. Now remember, what God is referring to is the Hebrews' problem that they kept trusting other gods Rather than the God of Israel. Rather than the God of heaven. They kept going to Baal. They kept going to uh, Ishtar. They kept going to all these other false gods. And they went to all of their trinkets. All of their worship sites. Whether it was with the groves. Or whether it was curious arts. Whether it, whatever it was. The magics. The sorcerers. All of those things. That the people continue to trust in everything else but God himself. And God says, guess what? In this time, there's, they're no more going to be worshiping other things. They're going to worship the true and living God. They're going to honor the true and living God. No more will I have to correct their behavior and chastise them and, and try to say, no, worship God. Worship God. They're all going to worship God and recognize there's only one God at this time. Verse number 24 <clears throat> It says, David, my servant, will be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. And they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in one land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And their servant David shall be their prince forever. In verse number 25, it's talking about that what's going to happen. They're going to settle in their land. And they're going to have kids. And their kids are going to have kids. And their kids are going to have kids. Again, it's speaking about this time in the millennial kingdom. Where the Hebrew people will have kids. And they're gonna, those kids are going to grow up in peace. They're going to grow up in a place where Jesus is king. They're going to grow up in a place of an amazing 
And the Hebrew people that survive the tribulation, they will be able to have kids as well. And they're going to dwell forever. Verse 26. Moreover, I will make it a covenant with peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. That God also promised that he is going to tabernacle with them. Basically, he's going to be there present in a visible way. What an amazing thing. You know what's going to happen? That Jesus Christ, who is God, who is God robed in flesh, is going to dwell there with them and be with them. If you ever want to go meet Jesus, what you could do is say, come here, let's go talk to Jesus. Let's go make an appointment. Let's go shake his hand. You don't have to faith Jesus. What do I mean by that? That everyone that's in this room, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you did it without ever meeting him. You never shook his hand. You never came by and pat him in the back. You never got to eat lunch with Jesus. As amazing as that is, you never had the opportunity. You had to faith Jesus. You had to believe him by faith and not by sight. But in the millennial kingdom, guess what? Jesus will be God in the flesh dwelling with the people. Once again, God is also going to set up a tabernacle, which is going to be the dwelling place, the capital of Jerusalem and the world. And the rest of Ezekiel explains the differences between that temple and the other temples that had come previous. And there's going to be differences as well as similarities. But the most important thing is that Jesus himself is going to dwell on the earth. Again, that blows my mind that we could go up and shake hands with Jesus. You could have a lunch appointment, a breakfast appointment with Jesus. You could spend time with him. And it's because of the promises he made to the Hebrew people. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number uh, 28. And the heathen shall know. Now, the heathen here deals with the idea of non-Jewish people, non-Hebrew people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. One of the other things that we know is that Israel will be known as a nation blessed by God. That all the heathen, all those non-Hebrew people will all say, hey, God did something special with this nation. God has truly blessed them. And all of the nations are going to go, wow, look at the God of Israel. Look at what that God has done for them. Now, remember, we've already explained this morning that the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. But we as Gentiles, we get to ride the coattails. That God's promises is big enough that not only did he do it for Israel, but it's big enough that we get to enjoy it as well. That's an amazing thing. And to go to the millennial kingdom and to be able to see it with our own eyes and say, wow, only God could have done that is going to be an amazing sight. And so if you don't mind, we saw the new covenant reconfirmed, that God reconfirmed it. But here's also something else that we see, the fulfillment of the new covenant. The fulfillment of the new covenant, which is a logical question. Now I've already spoiled it. But when is the fulfillment of this new covenant? When is it going to come to pass? Well, it can only come to pass, first of all, after the people have been regathered, and that will not happen until the millennial kingdom. So this new covenant, this promise that God had made to the Hebrew people, it will not 
occur until the people have been regathered. May I show you this in the New Testament? Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter number 11. The book of Romans chapter 11. <laughs> in fact, it says not only do the Hebrew people need to be gathered back, but a very special person has to come back. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. Notice with me in the book of Romans. Now, as we explained this morning, the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11, is God's heart cry for the people Israel. That the people Israel had rejected Jesus and God's genuine offer to be their king. They rejected Jesus' offer. And so God set them aside for a small time, but once again will work with them again in the future. But in the book of Romans, chapter 9, 10, and 11, speaks about how God set them aside, but he's brokenhearted for them. But he will work with them once again. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, the book of Romans, chapter 11, notice with me in verse number 26. Romans eleven twenty six, So that all Israel shall be saved... As it is written, there shall come out of Zion, that's Jerusalem, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Verse 27 speaks about this new covenant. This promise that God made to them that he would take away their sins. Before this covenant is fulfilled, verse 26, there shall come out of Zion, Jerusalem, the deliverer, and he shall turn the ungodliness. So when does this happen? It happens after Jesus comes down to establish his earthly kingdom. Now again, all I'm doing is setting up the time frame. When is this going to happen? Again, some people who mistake prophecy, they want to put dates in different places. We have to stick with the Bible. That before the new covenant is completely fulfilled, that Jesus Christ has to come back to rule and reign. It is called the millennial kingdom. And that is when God is going to once again fulfill the promises he made to the Hebrew people, including this new covenant. So we talked about this covenant uh, reconfirmed. We talked about the fulfillment of this new covenant. When is it going to happen? Now we come up to a next logical question. What is the relationship of the new covenant with the church? When I mean the church here is meaning with saved, born again people. What is the covenant between the, um, <coughs> the new covenant and Christians, how does it affect us? What does it have to do with us? Well, we understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he laid the foundation for Israel to receive this covenant at a later time. Remember, we talked about that, that salvation um, came from the Jews. That the reason why Jesus died on the cross was to fulfill the promise that God made to the Hebrew people. We talked about the hidden treasure this morning. That Jesus Christ, he saw the treasure in the midst of the field. And in order to get to the hidden treasure that was buried, he bought the entire field so he could have the treasure to himself. That treasure is Israel. The field is the world. We explained that this morning. That in order to get salvation to the Hebrew people, he bought the whole field. He brought salvation to every man so that way he can save Israel. That's what Jesus did. And that Jesus died on the cross in preparation to allow the Hebrew people to get saved later on. 
Remember that right now we're in the time of the Gentiles where God is working with the non-Hebrew people to reach the world. He's working with the church, born-again Christians. He's working through us right now. But during the time of the millennial kingdom, he's going to turn his attention back to the Hebrew people. He's going to bring them to himself through the tribulation. And it's during the tribulation they'll realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And they'll trust him for forgiveness of their sins. To change their heart. To write in their heart the law. Uh, to follow after God. To establish that relationship. And then the millennial kingdom will be the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to the people. And that when Jesus died on the cross. It was to lay the foundation. It was the prep work. It was to make it so that way when the millennial kingdom came. When the tribulation came. They could be saved. Because the payment has already been made for them. And because God was trying to save the Hebrew people, he was the propitiation of our sins, but not ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. It talks about that in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. What a wonderful thing. Now, we have to understand, for us, the gospel is not a covenant, the gospel is not a covenant. God made a covenant to the Hebrew people that he would bring salvation to them. For us, the gospel is the revelation of salvation. That God has revealed salvation to us. That God has paid the price for every man to get to the Hebrew people. And salvation, the gospel, is that he reveals what he did for the whole world... And we get to take part of it. We get to join it. We get to enjoy the privileges of God's promises to the Hebrew people. Now, this may sound like a minor distinction, but the more that you get into uh, soteriology, the study of salvation, you get to the idea of eschatology, the study of... Uh, the study of last things, ecclesiology, the study of the church. This becomes a very big distinction that God did not give us a covenant... But he did offer salvation freely for us to enjoy because of the promise that he made to the Hebrew people. Now, <laughs> we come to one last thing here. And that is the principle of the new covenant. The principle of the new covenant. What is the principle of the new covenant? What is the principle of salvation? Now, remember for the Old Testament, they had the Mosaic law. They had 613 laws. Could you imagine trying to think? Fulfill 613 laws. Even today the Hebrew people. Which have taken the laws. And taken to extreme. Go through an orthodox Jew. Would go through extreme measures. For example. They are taught that you cannot work. On the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day is Saturday. Not Sunday. The Sabbath day. And so their Sabbath day. Begins at sundown on Friday. So Friday night at sundown. Begins their Sabbath. And they are taught that they cannot do any work. And then there's commentaries and then commentaries on those commentaries. And so they got to the place of what is work and what is not work. They are taught that to light a fire is considered work. Now, we know that we don't live in the ancient world, so you're not going to set a fire. So the principle for them is you can't even turn on and off a light. So when it becomes time for the Orthodox Jewish person to practice their their laws to practice the commentaries on the laws that what would happen is that before sundown hits 
they either have to have all the lights in their house on that they want for the next day or have them all off. And that if you happen to flip a light switch during the Sabbath day, you've done work. You broke the law. And that's a big deal. Most of us are trained to save electricity to turn the lights off. Or at least some of you, I hope you are. If not, the dad in the house is saying, are you paying the bills? I'm the one paying the bills. You know, that kind of thing. All right. Now, for us, we have no, it's not a big deal to turn on and off the light. But for them, it's work. That's bondage. That's not freedom. That's bondage. What's even worse is that when you open up your refrigerator, guess what? The light comes on. That's work. So the Orthodox Jew who practice Orthodoxy, what they have to do before Friday night, before the sun goes down on Friday night, is that they have to unscrew their light bulb in their refrigerator. So when you open it up, the light doesn't come on. You didn't technically do work. Now, does that sound like a lot of freedom or does that sound like a lot of work? It sounds like a lot of work. And that's just one law. You got 613 laws that have commentaries and commentaries that explain what you can do or what you can't do. That the, that the Old Testament law, that on the Sabbath day, you are only allowed to take a certain number of steps away from your house. Or you went too far. It's considered too much work. And so you couldn't drive to church. If most of us live in Green Bay, we couldn't drive to church. That's breaking the law. It's too far away. That'd be a big deal, right? That's a huge deal. So there's a lot of laws, a lot of things to keep. Now, the good thing about salvation is that salvation, you don't have to keep laws. You don't need a list of rules and regulations. You don't need a checklist of do's and don'ts. You know what you have to do is follow after Jesus. And if you keep your eyes on him and you follow after him, you will automatically do what is right. And so, by the way, the times that we do not do what is right, you know what has happened? Our eyes weren't on the Lord. You know that makes things simple in the Christian life? You want to know what's right? We'll follow after Jesus and you'll do what's right. That keeps things simple. Isn't that a lot more freedom? That's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have the freedom in our life. To enjoy life. Not to count every step that you take. Not to say, oh no, I left the refrigerator light on. Now I can't get a sandwich all day long. I just can't do it. I just think about the microwave. That turns on a light and off. There goes the microwave. They actually have rules that you can't cook anything on the stove. Again, that's only one law. That's, that's a lot of things to it. God doesn't want us to live that way. You know what he wants us to live? A joyful, burden-free life. That we're just following after Christ. We're in love with Christ. We want to be pleasing to him. And as we follow after him, we will automatically do what is right. That's what God wanted for the Hebrew people. He wrote those Old Testament laws not to make them under the burden of the law, but just to let them know, I can't keep this. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And for what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom is that they're not going to have a list of rules and laws. But they're going to follow after God. They're going to know God. And they will automatically do what is right. For us, we have the privilege of being saved right now. And what's going to happen is that if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will automatically do 
what is right to please him. That is the easy life. That is the life that God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to have. Now let's go back and just review really quick the four covenants. Class, let's make sure that you're awake and you're working with me. First of all, the Abrahamic covenant, he promised them a people. That in the Palestinian covenant, he promised them the land. Good. And the um, Davidic covenant, he promised them a? And then the new covenant, he promised them salvation. And all of this is going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. This is why there's a millennial kingdom in the first place. God wasn't bored and decided to go to a sketchbook and said, Hey, there's something that's missing at this block of time. In between earth and eternity future. I got to do something. I know, let's just put a thousand years and let's put it there. Now, he didn't do it arbitrarily. There was a purpose and a reason. The reason for the millennial kingdom is that it is the fulfillment of the promises that God made concerning the Hebrew people. It will be fulfilled at that time. We as Gentile believers, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, we will enjoy the benefits and the privileges that the millennial kingdom has to offer because of God's promises to the Hebrew people. As for us tonight, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, sometimes people frant and worry and and say, Oh no, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Let's keep it simple. Keep your eyes on the Lord and follow Him. And you will do what is right. And when we don't do what is right, it is evidence that our eyes are not on Him. Isn't that simple? Well, with it being so simple... Why do we find ourselves getting in trouble all the time? Well, the simple thing is, dear friend, is that we have to continually keep our eyes on him. Keep our eyes on him. Keep our eyes on him. How have you been doing this last week of keeping your eyes on him? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you know you need help this upcoming week? To keep your eyes on him. That no left to your own devices. You'll get in trouble. Left to your own devices. You'll find yourself into a mess. Well the good thing is. Is that we could ask for wisdom. We could ask for help. And he promised to give it to us. That we just need our help. To keep our eyes on him. And if our eyes are on him. We will automatically do. What we're supposed to do. As we love the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.